Do you recall a day where everything clicked into place, where the world seemed to move in perfect harmony and every task flowed effortlessly? Introducing you to London Nootropics, adaptogenic coffee blends, thoughtfully crafted to elevate and balance your day, delivering all the perks of your beloved coffee, plus the incredible benefits of adaptogens, which also help to dial down those less than loved side effects like jitters, anxiety, and that all too familiar crash. A premium mix of medicinal mushroom extracts and other potent adaptogens, each blend is targeted for a specific purpose depending on what you need. Flow enhances your mental clarity and focus, Zen is your go-to for stress relief and balance, and Mojo offers that clean natural energy lift. It's the synergy between caffeine and adaptogens that works wonders, allowing us to relish the caffeine buzz without the drawbacks, ensuring a smooth, sustained energy flow. My top pick is the Zen Blend. It's a lifesaver for those of us who are caffeine sensitive and not to mention comes in the most charming packaging. So why not elevate your coffee experience with London New Tropics? Discover the perfect blend, find your flow and enjoy an exclusive 20% discount with the code SaturnReturns at LondonNewTropics.com. Hello everyone and welcome to Saturn Returns with me, Kagi Donnell. This is a podcast that aims to bring clarity during transitional times where there can be confusion and doubt. Pausing this for a moment because I've got something exciting to share. Today's episode is brought to you by London Nootropics, the masters of crafting adaptogenic coffee blends that don't just taste heavenly, but they also boost your energy the right way. Now we all love that zesty kick from caffeine. It snaps us awake by outsmarting those sleepy adenosine receptors in our brain. But here's the kicker. Caffeine can hike up our cortisol, giving us the jitters or anxiety, particularly if you're like me and caffeine sensitive. But that's where the magic of adaptogen steps in. These natural heroes level out our cortisol, smoothing the energy boost from caffeine without the downsides. Plus, while caffeine tends to rush in and fade away, leaving you crashing, adaptogens extend that energy, keeping you vibrant without reaching for another cup. So if you want to find your most productive self with Lion's Mane and Rhodiola in their flow blend, Cordyceps in Mojo is known to increase our aerobic capacity, oxygen flow and boost ATP. So it's perfect before a run or workout or when you're feeling fatigued. So if you're intrigued and you want to dive deeper into their blend secrets and discover which adaptogens sync with you, try visiting their website. And because you're part of the Saturn Returns family, enjoy a special 20% off at London Nootropics Adaptogenic Coffee with the code Saturn Returns. Enjoy. The moment you allow yourself to be bad and just honest is the moment that normally something better comes out and you're like, ah, basically dig for mud and then you can sieve for the gold later. My guest today is musician and singer Freya Ridings, who you may know from her hit songs Lost Without You and Castles. Her music is thoughtful, ethereal, nostalgic, and pulls on the heartstrings of its listeners. Freya comes from a very creative and supportive family of musicians and actors, and began playing open mic nights while she was still a child before attending the Brit School. Her big breakthrough came with her breakup song, Lost Without You, which in summer 2018 appeared on the TV show Love Island and was chosen by Radio 1 DJ Scott Mills as his tune of the week. Freya is really open and happy to share her vulnerabilities and in this episode we discuss heartbreak, confidence, creativity 
and how friendship groups change through our lives. Before we get to Freya, let's check in with our astrological guide, Nora. We talk a lot about the personal growth we go through during our Saturn return. We go through it by way of reality checks, added responsibilities, or simply trying to master the art of adulting. Another important aspect of navigating this part of our lives is not only to connect with our root chakra, which relates to our sense of safety, our physical body, the base element of our feminine nature, and anything that stabilizes our willpower so that we can move into the world feeling more secure with ourselves. It's also equally as important to cultivate our sacral chakra, which among other elements relates to creativity, our personal boundaries, our sensuality, our sexuality. When going through a time of pressure like Saturn return, the best outlet astrologically is to develop our root chakra firstly, and secondly, our sacral chakra before we get to the next level, which is the solar plexus. We develop our sacral chakra by exploring our sensuality, sexuality, but also our creativity. As we enter our 20s, we tend to forget about the creative outlets we used to have, the ones that we might have admired in others but never learned to cultivate for ourselves because we get consumed in a routine that almost stifles the sensual or creative part of ourselves. When we engage in any creative activity, be it journaling or writing, painting, sculpting, dancing, creating a project, or even simply being aware of the amazing creation that we ourselves are, we slowly sink back into our bodies and become aware again of not only everything that stops us from doing this, but in turn it makes us aware of our personal boundaries and which noise we need to cut out in our lives in order to be able to reconnect with our creative, sensual selves. So, a beautiful way, an inherently feminine way to navigate Saturn return is to re-explore our sensuality and creativity by strengthening first the root chakra and secondly, the sacral chakra. Freya, welcome to the Saturn Returns podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Kagi. I'm really thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled that you're here. There's so many questions that I want to ask you. I think you're just an incredible artist and songwriter and you've done an amazing, Aww. amazing job. The main thing that I want to discuss with you is because I kind of had this idea. Yeah. How old are you, by the way? I'm 26. So from the sort of beginning I guess because most people your like blow up song was lost without you and that just went like crazy Mm -hmm. and everyone just went mad about it but I want to know kind of the origins of that song of that experience that caused you to write that song and like Mm -hmm. what that process was like for you like how old were you when you actually wrote it so lost without you has actually been it's such a incredible journey to have actually been on because yeah. I wrote the song when I was 19. When you were 19, um, wow. I know. And I actually, I played it all around open mic nights all around North London. No way. Um, for like a good five years, really, <gasps> before I even got discovered or found by the indie label that I was so lucky to eventually sign to. So for me, it was it was a real sort of roller coaster of, you know, trying to hold on to who I was like authentically as a songwriter without, you know, changing or because it was, it was tempting at times to be like, oh, I should try and be like someone else. But I was like, at the end of the day, sitting down playing sad songs on the piano is who I am. So I yeah. should just actually hold on to it. 
it's something that people experience in in all you know walks of life but i think music particularly highlights this sort of reflection of who you are but people also asking mm. you to change because it can yeah. you can literally sit down with someone and i'm and maybe you've experienced it where they're like okay you need to like be like this person or change your name or change your look or like oh, change massively. your style and the, the hardest part is just holding on through that storm of people being like but if you just changed it it's like because the thing that in the end people actually resonated with, which I, I never expected on such a massive scale, actually, was that the vulnerability. Fact that it was, like it was, yeah, it was the genuine vulnerability of it. And it was a genuine song that I'd written alone, really heartbroken at my piano in my parents' front room. Did you have to go through a lot of, I know, dark night of the soul sort of journeys in terms of navigating oh, the music hugely, industry? Hugely, hugely. Oh, massively. I think because, um, so I went to the Brit school um, when I was 16 to 18. And I struggled sort of hugely with, you know, just sort of being away from home, but also trying to write songs after school. I was incredibly uncool at school, which was <laughs> quite, you know, at the time, heartbreaking because I love people and I love, you know, connecting with people. But I'd be like, does anyone want to write a song like after school? And they'd be like, oh, no, that's, that's horrible. No. Um, <laughs> so looking back, I'm like, I'm so grateful that instead of that, you know, pain, it kind of turned into a rocket fuel for me that I just put into you know turning up and playing songs after school every single day yeah um and then continuing that after school into playing open mic nights every night and sort of meeting a community of people who I felt really understood me which was so exciting because I'd never had that before yeah um but it it was such a ridiculous journey that I look back on I'm like I mean how how crazy lucky was I to actually you know hold on to one song and have that be the song that actually got me discovered yeah you said something really beautiful and I think that it's something that I've noticed seems to be a unanimous theme amongst the guests that I have on the show is that they Mm -hmm. in some way kind of take their pain and alchemize that and make it into something beautiful and I think anyone that has a creative outlet Mm. be be it songwriting or art it shows that you you can make your struggles your strength and I think that you perfectly Mm. demonstrate how you did that through your songwriting that's beautiful. I love that. That alchemy of it is, yeah, there's there's a lot of pain. And I think, you know, anyone that didn't struggle a little bit at school, it's like, you know, when I have young people like DM me on Instagram being like, oh, I'm learning how to sing and write songs, but I'm like bullied at school. I was like, these will be some of the hardest years, but hold on to who you are because it's, that will be the thing that when you leave school will suddenly flip and become, you know, your complete identity and soul and you're going to totally rock it. So um, yeah, I love that. I love hearing that that's true for other artists as well. And I think to to use that because I um I I didn't have like a super hard time at school, but I definitely mm. felt often quite an outsider, and like I'd always mm. write poetry and stuff. Mm. And I don't know, there's something in that heartbreaking time, like throughout being a teenager, that you create such a, a tapestry of like work that you can always draw upon mm. like, throughout your life, and even. You know, music has a a beautiful ability to transport us like back in time and it makes someone's experience our experience too. And I guess like with with your songs, you've really managed to tap into people's emotional state in in that capacity, which has had quite a profound impact on people. Did you have any idea when you wrote those songs that they would become what they have become to other people? No, I had no idea. I think because I've been writing for so long, just especially in isolation, just in school piano rooms or like at home. For me, it was very much something done in isolation. So the fact that it, when it exploded, it exploded so far. I was like, 
this is oh. just beyond anything you could like imagine. This is like wildest dream kind of level. Hearing a crowd, hearing thousands of people sing back the lyrics that you wrote, heartbroken oh, on your own, yeah. you know, festivals or whatever. It was just absolutely spine tingling. Yeah. So to go to go back to the story of the song, what what if you don't mm. mind sharing it? What was that actual experience about? Would you mind telling? So it's completely based on, it was completely based on true things that happened. Um, But I was 19 and it was leaving probably the most important relationship that I'd ever had and realising that they weren't going to come back and trying to adjust to a life without that person was was shockingly hard. Realising that I was going to have to kind of go into the the next few wilderness years completely on my own was quite alarming because we'd had such a, a long and really transformative relationship for me it was like you know my first love so nothing you know the first cut is the deepest as they say nothing can compare to that first love experience because you nothing can prepare you because you also don't know you're going to be okay that's the thing you genuinely think you might die (laughs) so yeah any other heartbreak doesn't really compare in the same way but I think that song some songs come out kind of in chunks but this one came out fully formed and I remember being like, I just, I feel like I got taken over by some kind of spirit guide. You channeled, and it just sort of came you out channeled it. I was like, damn. Yeah, I always shut my eyes when I sing. And like, sometimes people find it really weird in sessions, but I always have my right eye closed like a pirate. <laughs> I always get mascara stains on my right eye, under my eye. <laughs> but then I found out that that's the side of your brain that, you know, can really go deep into that sleep state and really visualize and sort of, you feel, you don't think. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the hardest place to get to. But when you get there, it's, definitely the most therapeutic to kind of get it out that way and when you um, when that you, was how it came out when you write you do you read music or do you just play I've never been able to read music I'm like yeah. extremely dyslexic so at school I struggled massively with like academic you know vibes I couldn't really get in with that but if you want to write you know pop songs then it's not as important it's more important to kind of feel it and and listen to your inner kind of compass Absolutely. And I think that it, that's a really important message because it can dishearten a lot of people when they think, oh, I'll never, oh, I'll never be like yeah. that or I'll never sing like that person or I'll never reach those notes. The less you have, sometimes those limitations lead you to having to be more creative and absolutely. are actually a huge blessing in disguise. Like I was so lucky that all I had was a piano because at the time, you know, if I'd have had lots of other options or different things to sort of do, I could have got lost down that rabbit hole. Yeah, and you can get really distracted. Instead of having the, to hold on to writing. Yeah. In the production mm. aspect of things. And I mm. think that that goes back to... I'm almost allergic to it. Like, going into the studio, like, I'm I'm just happiest at a piano. If we kind of get into all the, you know, different sounds and beats, I, like, I just absolutely hate it. I, <laughs> it's something that I really need to learn to love. But at the same time, I love the no, simplicity of I think a piano so. and guitar. Yeah, and I think, you know, that is your sort of USP. So you should you should stick to that. As I've sort of got a bit older, I've kind of learned that listening to my gut and something bring out the best in me and something don't. Like, I never hold a pen. Like, I never actually write down the lyrics. I just say really? them. So for me, I feel like such a fraud as like a writer because I don't hold a pen. But then I was like, I guess you don't have to actually write them down to be a writer. So what is the kind of process for you like in in the songwriting? Um, So sitting down at a piano, any piano, I find that every piano has a different soul. Um, But having a place where no one can hear you sing is hugely important for me because it's almost like a verbal kind of stream of consciousness that's kind of akin to writing your diary every night. It's that kind of honest the hardest part is stopping thinking. I think mm-hmm. 
sometimes when you're thinking too hard, that's when the creativity kind of shuts off. But when you let go of the idea that it has to be anything, especially good, like that is the, the death of it. But if you can imagine that it's, it just needs to basically dig for mud and then you can sieve for the gold later. I think sometimes people are like, they want gold straight away. And mm. I can fall into that trap. I'm like, I just want it to be good. And it's like, sometimes you have to allow yourself, the moment you allow yourself to be bad and just honest is the moment that normally something better comes out and you're like, ah. Yeah. So firstly, I wanted to say, when you had written the song and you started touring it, did you know you found gold or not? No. I remember the day I wrote it and we went to like a friend's, um, I think it was my little god sister's birthday party and they have a piano in their house kind of hidden away. I think it was after they were cutting the cake and everything and I snuck off and like was playing this song that I'd just written. And my dad came in and was like, what's that? And I was like, oh, I just, I did it like, you know, this afternoon before we, we turned up and I was just having a bit of a, a dark, dark moment. And he was like, oh my God. And I was like, no, it's just like, it's just another one. Basically, I, I tend to write songs in little clusters. And I think there were two other songs that I wrote in that little burst. And I remember being like, yeah, but there's, there's other ones as well. And he's like, no, 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 there's that one. And I was like, nah, it's fine. Like, because I was just so used to just writing lots at that yeah. time. And they were probably even hadn't really... because it was a, related to that experience. So you don't necessarily know which one is going to cut through. I remember thinking I would never show anyone that one. I would really? re- remember thinking specifically, I will never show anyone that one. It's Why? like the songs that you say, I'm never going to show anyone this one. Because they feel too raw, emotionally raw. It feels like a page of your diary you just don't want to show someone. And then those seem to be the ones people want to see most. Yeah. So there's a level of like courage that I didn't know that I would have to have. Yeah. to get over that that leap of faith because the second you know that someone likes something or people like stuff it's easy but you don't know at that time they could be like that's terrible but that's your raw piece of heart on a page and you're like ah that's that's scary showing people new songs to me is the most terrifying thing still to this day but yeah. once you're kind of on the other side of it it's um it's just absolute a joy and um, would you say you know writing lost without you was that around your biggest heartbreak yeah a hundred percent. That was, that was something that I couldn't really fathom because for me, it was just, it was the norm that it was like me and that person forever and had been for a really long time. Like you didn't think you'd recover from it. I really didn't. I didn't. And I think looking back, you know, every time I play that song, it's hard not to get like slightly emotional because you just do get taken back to that place. Yeah, absolutely. But do you like going to that place? I do. I love it. I think it's kind of very, therapeutic and I do I think like a lot of artists like we have a huge melancholic streak and to get that out in the art is so therapeutic it means that I can be genuinely very joyful in my life and very like you know always sort of laughing and happy because I I'm lucky enough to get it out in a really kind of productive way I know and it doesn't you know sit within me and kind of rot it kind of it gets out and be, becomes really you know healthy Totally. And I think that people sometimes think if people write really sad songs they must be sad all the time but like you say it's oh totally the other way around I have yeah. so many uncles who are like heavy metal musicians and they are some of the loveliest people on the planet. <laughs> they get out all their aggression. And I feel like people are always confused. They're like, why are you and your team always like actually howling with laughter and like crying with laughter? I'm like, because you get it all out, you know? That place yeah. that you get to go to when you're transported, it all, I would, I mean, I don't know, maybe it is exactly the same, but I almost think that the song itself and time creates like a... a like a a fantasy version of it that you can kind of exist Mm. in as well. It's like, you know how we romanticise the past. And Mm. I think that that's why music is so beautiful and it touches so many people in such a profound way, because even if something 
were tragic in, in its experience when we listen to certain songs there's something like romantic and wonderful about it all over again there's something so euphoric about playing a song that you wrote thinking that no one would hear it and having thousands of people sing it with you is like you know from that, from that intense helped. isolation to that intense feeling of you know from, from someone that really didn't have a lot of friends growing up to have thousands of people want to like sing with you is just I love singing with people so for me that's just the highest of all highs really did you all those years when you were doing those you know touring around London and doing all those gigs and stuff did you feel confident yeah. in yourself and as a performer oh no hell no my mom actually <laughs> had to like I came back from a gig that I did when I was about 18 and she, we literally she was like right so we're gonna practice like you looking up at the audience we're gonna practice like you know, when you leave, actually saying hi to people at school, because I would literally just keep my head down. I wouldn't say anything. I was cripplingly shy. It was really hard. Um, and also, like, I was going through a huge kind of transformation where I was quite, like, large at school. Like, I was quite overweight. And it was, you know, basically a defense mechanism that I hid behind. And I think I had always planned on doing this, like, chrysalis coming out of my shell moment. Mm -hmm. And I did. When I left school, I, like, I kind of did my little glow up that I'd worked so hard for. And I was like, I feel like I'm ready to go and take on the world now. That was a huge struggle at the same time. I think people think it was just a musical journey, but there was there was many elements of it. I didn't lose weight because I knew that someone was like telling me to do, which was actually bizarre. No one actually told me to do that. But it was something that I knew that I wanted, wanted to do to, to have do. the energy to, you know, pursue the thing I loved. And it does. Touring takes so much energy. It's like a sport. And I just love, I yeah. love that. And like, you know, staying like mentally really healthy and like trying to stay physically really healthy and looking after my voice, like these things that I like really treasure now because they weren't the norm, you know, back when I started. Yeah, and they keep you grounded. Absolutely, hugely. I mean, people on our tour bus after the um, shows are kind of quite amazed that we're kind of more like a tea and biscuit kind of bus than, yeah. you know, Think there's, so no, okay, there's no alcohol. We're not really like drinking, yeah. no. <laughs> so I love that, you know? Yeah, I love that. Like, that sounds like my kind of bus. Yeah. And what, um, yeah, I think you'd love it. I would love it. What has been your sort of journey with this? Because I'm sure touring can take its toll on your mental health because, you know, you're oh, changing easily. locations all the time. God you have this yeah. moving family, but also like, you know, you have this audience, you're centre stage, you have all this attention, all this adrenaline, and then suddenly you're like, you know, back on the yeah. road. It must it must be very a strange It's very loud life. and very quiet at the same time. Yeah. yeah. It's a huge adjustment. And when I first started doing it, I didn't have management and I think that was a wow. a big mistake looking back because you need to have someone who is defending you as like a long term playing the long game because if you if you don't you will burn up so quickly and you also really need to have a family and friends back home that ground you really really well because there are some nights your voice is so tired that you physically can't talk to people and it's super isolating and you have to think about the fact you've got five more shows and you just basically have to see it like a marathon that you're just lucky to be part of that's why those years in the wilderness playing open mic nights feeling super lost at the time painful but looking back I'm so grateful because it allows me to have a huge perspective and what are some of the tools that you have in place to kind of keep you grounded and you know I love this question so I write a diary every night and I have done since I was 16 so it's 10 years um wow Honestly, that has been the biggest transforming factor of my life. When I feel overwhelmed by the whole sort of, the whole thing, I just kind of come back to, my mum has so many different phrases, but we love, there's a Serena Williams quote that's like, play the point, don't play the tournament. And I absolutely adore it. Because when I get overwhelmed, I'm like, all I'm doing is one show, one day, one session, one, you know, mm. one thing. And then at the end of the day, you write your diary 
and then that grounds me. Um, and also it's, in the morning, I try and... like a play-by-play play of like, this is what yeah. happened today. Okay. Yeah. And also an emotional sort of, just to keep tabs on yourself and to see, you know, if you start to spiral or if you start to fall off the wagon with things that I have my little stickers that I try and aim for these tiny little goals every day. Like some, like sometimes it's like 15 minutes minimum for like some sort of exercise. I really, really love doing Pilates, like on the road, I do a thing called Ballet Beautiful that I absolutely adore. And then there's, you know, just being conscious of like what I eat. And then there's how, if I've enjoyed playing music or not that day, because some days you're just doing promo and you don't get to play a piano for quite a few days in a row. So sometimes having a ukulele in my bag and I'll just play a few chords just to remind myself that I do, I do love it. Yeah. So like having the actual singing and playing something as part of your, I guess, self-love and self-care routine, essentially, beyond, Mm. beyond the professional aspect to it. Yeah. That was quite a recent one that I've added because I was, I was like, oh, of course I just do this, but it's not. It's actually an intentional, consciously enjoying the music that I actually want to play. Yeah. And it's a good Sometimes it becomes a job and I, I forget it's a hobby as well. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's it sounds like it's really important that that, you know, it reconnects you to your soul. So it doesn't it doesn't become like a job or something that you just do. It's like, no, this was that. Yeah. Why? This is the why. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When you perform, do you suffer from Mm -hmm. performance anxiety ever? Oh, yeah. Hugely. It's absolutely terrifying. And I I think also the longer you go without doing it, the scarier the next show becomes. And when you go on stage does something you know because you said in your songwriting that essentially you kind of channel something is it similar when you perform three songs in the nerves dissipate but for the first three songs especially for big like big headline shows you are so nervous really because you're like oh my god you know thousands of people have taken the time out of their day you know you just want to give them the best possible show you can but I think also getting lost in it and remember that they haven't come to see you stressed out they've come to see you feel something and really you know, my mum always has this saying before I go out on stage, or well, not every time, but I always say it to myself, and it's connection, not perfection. Yes. And that really helped that really helps ground me because I'm like, people haven't come to see you sing these songs note perfect. They've come to see you sing these songs and mean it. That's a trap that, you know, a lot of people fall into in so many different capacities of like their internal critic kind of taking over, being like, oh, are you going to get yeah. this note right? Has that ever sabotaged your performances or are you quite good at like handling that? I think that's something that only comes with time and that only comes with doing it so much because I used to have that internal critic every time I played in a pub and, you know, filled with people because that's hard, you know, those people haven't come to see you. They don't know who yeah. you are. You know, turning up to play a headline, headline gig with songs that already you know people resonate with. That's just a joy. But there are some nights where, you know, you're worried about losing your voice or you're worried about getting sick. And those nights are the nights where I'm like, you know, I turn to my like honey and lemon and like watercress and raspberries and like all of the things that, you know, and faux, faux and bone broth are amazing. Faux has saved me on tour many, many times. Really? But you just have to take it very seriously because you're like, you're holding up a whole show with yeah. one very, you know, small muscle in your throat. So for oh. me, learning to like take that very seriously Um, has been a hugely calming effect on the whole touring process. And when that song, did you know that it was going to be on Love Island? Oh, no, no one tells you anything. I'm not going to lie. They really don't. And did you know that Scott Um, Mills was picking it as his, was it the record of the week? No, we were just, we were out in America and we were like, I think in the back of a very small van and someone was like, oh, something's happened like with Scott Mills. And I was like, wait, the Scott Mills, like on Radio 1. And there was just this moment where it was so surreal did those experiences change 
who you are as a person and did they suddenly make you feel differently about yourself or did it feel like yeah. almost like a different entity that existed in the world and then there was you? Um, yeah, I think that the personal growth was always hugely connected to the music and I'd never thought, I didn't have a lot of confidence. So I think I still don't believe I can do things until I've done them. You know what I mean? It's one of those strange situations, but the more, more of these things you do that terrify you and then you get on the other side of it and you feel just elated. Mm -hmm. I think the more the confidence builds. And my mom was just like, fake it till you make it. Like literally just, just pretend to be confident until you feel confident, until you are who you truly are. And that worked strangely well. Like I think just, you know, holding your head high, even when you want to like shrink into a little ball is sometimes the best way. You know, doing your Wonder Woman power pose in the toilets before you go and do an interview or something is, is, um, is healthy. Because it sounds like you've always been quite shy in a way, but it, you obviously have a huge amount of courage because it takes a lot of courage. And I think most people are aware that, you know, on the other side of fear is where it all lies. But to go through that, yeah. to go out of their comfort zone is just too terrifying. Mm. People don't have the courage to do that. So it takes a lot of... I think yeah. you, do, you do have to have a couple of years of the pain of not going for it suddenly starts to outweigh the pain of going for it. Absolutely. You know, it's, you know when I was a barista, sat there writing little lyric scraps on like the, um, the old receipts. And I was like, sat there being like, I'm a terrible barista. I really hate this. I'm really bad at this job. And, you know, someone would be fantastic at it, but I, I'm just not good at it. And I just had this moment where I was like, you know, if I was ever lucky enough for things to start to go well, I would remember this pain the pain of, you know, no one caring if you did anything or not. And I think that really does motivate me to kind of put more and more and more of myself on the line and be more courageous than even I, I think I can be because the pain of, you know, not doing it is worse, much worse. Was that the turning point for you? There was, there was so many turning points, but I think that was one of the biggest ones. I think because, you know, getting a normal job and, you know, trying a different kind of life and, you know, I was with like someone that wanted me to be normal at that time. And it was just, a, it was just, oh, I felt like I was in a cage. I was like, this is insane. Like, I know that I can, I can be and give so much more than this. And I started to spiral again with lots of like habits that I'd kicked and I went back to things. And I think at that time I was like, it was probably a dark time, but it was also that, you know, dark before the dawn. I was like, I'm ready to kind of do the whole rebirth chrysalis yeah, thing again. Like I'm ready for it. Yeah. What were the kind, if you don't mind sharing, if you don't want to, you don't have to, but what were the kind mm. of bad habits that you'd fall back into when you felt, you know, like you were not progressing or not allowing yourself to? Like, you know, like over drinking or like overeating or just spending time with people that make you feel okay about not going for your dreams. Like people numbing. that kind of want to keep you small. Yeah, numbing people and trying to, you know, trying to live that life. And it just, I remember being like, I want to spend time with people who, are just absolutely courageous and like vivacious and like want to you know find the best listen. in life not really negative people like yeah I think I wanted to spend time with people like I'd grown up with like my parents and their their active friends who just absolutely adored life and storytelling and performing like that was who I'd been brought up with so to suddenly get a group of friends that just wanted you to stay small or were like you know don't go for your dreams it was just I think for me, it was just a little experiment to see if I could handle it. And I absolutely couldn't. <laughs> I was like, this is just so wrong. So I lost them all. I lost all those friends. And I, I look back and I'm, I'm sure they're great people now, but it's, it was a hard time to go from having a group of friends to no one. And I think sometimes to ascend higher in a hot air balloon, you do have to get rid of some sandbags. How old were you when that happened? I was 21. 
That's, yeah, that's yeah, twenty one. So that's a it's a really interesting like metaphor you used of the hot air balloon. I remember I once I was struggling with the same thing, and I think you know friendships mm. and, and the loss of friendships is something yeah. that people don't talk about enough. But it's you know there's a real God, no, yeah. a grief in it, and I think often we find ourselves yeah. in that situation of like this is where I want to go. This is like my dream. This is my direction. But you're you're being yeah. held back or holding yourself back by like a circle or a group of people that are playing small themselves. People you choose so, to spend time with, yeah. Exactly. Mm. So they yeah. Want you to because stay. they don't want you to make them feel bad by going for your dreams, because then that reminds them by your mere existence that they haven't yeah. gone for theirs. And I think yeah. that that's it's really hard to choose sheer isolation, especially because we're such social creatures. Like we need that social validation is so important to us to actually have the strength to be like no. Yeah, I would prefer to be on my own and build a completely new life with new people. Is yeah. um, it's really hard, but it's yeah. so so worth it. I went through that period a bit later than you when I was mm. in my late twenties, and it was like a, I describe it as a mm. self-inflicted exile. And I wasn't, mm. I wasn't unhappy, but I wasn't, I didn't have like that many friends around me because I was shedding a, a past version of myself as well. Yeah, and had mm-hmm. to let everything let everything yeah. go away so I completely empathize and understand about that experience it's hugely brave it's like the bravest thing you can actually do it's the making sure that the people you surround yourself with are like you know champions of you and so you can champion them back you know yeah it doesn't yeah you have to have a really strong family you have to have someone who is like reminding you who you are constantly because otherwise you know if, the fr- if those friends are all I've had I'm not sure I would have been brave enough but because I had a family to fall back on I was like I think I can do this even if I go back down to bare bones I still have that that family support which are everything you know that support system is that still incredibly important to you hugely now? yeah yeah I don't think people know it's like you know like we all get in the car like from our like little it's not it's not probably the life that people expect me to live when I come home I sometimes feel like Hannah Montana <laughs> I'm like I get to live this insane life where I'm like I'm on stage like at Glastonbury and there's like 50,000 people like singing along and then I'm literally snapped back I'm at home like you know hanging up the washing with my mum just like this is so random like this is so random like I absolutely I just adore it no one would really know but I just I love that that grounding force that my family will and always have been yeah, yeah. I think that's really crucial do you feel a pressure now with songwriting because obviously if you you've written the songs that you have oh yeah what am I going to be able to sustain that can I keep creating am I going to run out of inspiration yeah hugely I think after lost without you I was like mom I think I'm going to be a one-hit wonder and she was like better than a no-hit wonder and I was like good point very good point and then she's like and also that's not true and I was like that isn't true you're right and then literally I don't know I just kind of had to convince myself and just pretend that that wasn't true that I was just going to keep writing and I was going to try and write another one and then castles happened and I was like oh wait maybe I'm not a one-hit wonder this is exciting this is like maybe what I write at home is acceptable to be you know played around the world maybe this is you know what I am meant to do because I doubt myself so hard sometimes I think you know a lot of female creatives do I think it's it's just the life of being a woman as well as having hormones that go up and down. And every month you're like, maybe I just, I'm not good enough to do this. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but that's something we also have to deal with. But I think I have a bit more confidence in the music that I truly love playing. And I can kind of visualize the kind of shows I want to play when I come, you know, fingers crossed we ever come back. So I think I'm excited to have a lot more sort of life and energy and like brass and choirs and like stuff in the next album. that I don't think people probably know about yet, which is exciting. And in those darker moments when you are questioning yourself and, you know, having imposter syndrome or whatever it might be, do you have any practices mm. or things that 
you lean towards to kind of overcome those feelings? Um, I just... think the only thing that gets me over it is just, it, it's not really like waiting it out, but it's kind of like doing little tiny self-esteem building acts that day, you know, whether it's like, you know, doing something good for someone else or surprising someone or just sitting down and playing a song that I didn't think was very good and just sort of working on it a little bit or just, yeah, basically my mom as well is also saying like, you know, we have this thing where we're like esteemable acts because that's the only way you actually do build yourself and seem back up is by actually doing things that make you proud of yourself. That's, so, yeah. that's so great. I love that. Esteemable yeah. acts. Wow. Yeah, because we think of self-esteem as this like, like I used to think of it as this thing that just was in the ether that no one could see and no one could really get. And some people had it, some people didn't. But it was like, you know, we all know that, you know, if you go for like a little run and you do like a little sprint down the road, like nothing big, you just, you feel proud of yourself. And if you you make a, a ginger shot, you feel proud of yourself. You know, and if you say no to going out for drinks when you don't, when you want to get an early bed, you feel proud of yourself. But it's like these tiny little acts every day. I'm like, I'm just going to pretend. Esteem. Yeah, that I can do this until I feel like I can. My problem with that kind of stuff is I don't think I congratulate myself when I do them. I usually have that inner voice. That like, is a very good more. point. That is a huge thing that I actually really want to work on because I think sometimes like, like we do take for granted these huge mammoth things that we've done over the years and like underestimated ourselves along the way. And then we've done it. And it's like my mum is, again, hugely champion for like celebrating every little thing. Like She's always got a bottle of something at the back of the fridge just to celebrate everything, you know, no matter what it is, we have to celebrate it. And I... I love that because you're right, one day we'll be super old and we'll be like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if we'd actually celebrated a bit while we were doing it? Exactly. The things we have actually achieved. Yeah. Um, I think that that's like kind of a beautiful note to end on is, you know, congratulate yourself, mm. congratulate yourself in the process because we are yeah. pretty hard on ourselves. And although it's important mm. to stay focused and have our goals, like you have to yeah. acknowledge the steps along the way. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. And acknowledging that is a really good phrase because I think sometimes it's like, oh, I want to buy myself something or I'm going to do something. And it's like, that actually doesn't really say well done truly to yourself, but actually sticking with it or maybe like writing yourself a little note or letter or something in your diary and being like, just well, acknowledging the things you've achieved. Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes we wait for other people, that external validation yes. and we don't have the internal one. And I think, you know, to be like that warm blooded creature that I just aspire to be is, you know, it has to come from within first. Absolutely. I love that, that, yeah. I congratulate myself more. (laughs) That kind of also makes me think, because obviously I always call it like a a hedonic treadmill, which is like we want one thing, we like run along, we get it, we want another thing, so we run along, and we're just constantly chasing stuff with your music and everything and having that kind of response. Does it then Mm. balance things out in terms of like the the euphoria you experience from from those first things when it happened, does it then make it harder to reach those highs again? Yeah, that, for sure. I think when they first happened, like nothing will feel like that again. But I think I did, I, fall, I fell into the trap of being like, you know, I can't drink, I don't smoke, I don't go out, I don't party, so I'll just I'll spend loads online. And for some reason that wasn't making me happy either. I was like, that's really making me quite miserable. You know, I want to value and treasure the people and the things I have without always wanting something more. More. And um, I've been recently, really, this year so far, really into, like, the minimalism, like, documentaries on Netflix. They've completely, really, already, like, changed my mindset hugely. I'm definitely not a minimalist by by a long shot. But I think that the the feeling that... A lot of things around, but I completely understand what you're saying. Yeah, but it's that that peace, 
yeah, that you're allowed to feel. Being content with yeah. less, but also, you know, yeah. having the drive and the dream to have to achieve mm. these things, but also being satisfied along the way, I think is one of the great lessons. Yeah. Because otherwise, like you say, like you'll never be happy. It will never be enough if you're always thinking that happiness exists outside of you on the next, like... One thing yeah. away. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So That was uh, totally beautiful. Yeah, that's the lovely thing. Um, all right, Fair. Well, thank you so much for talking with me. Oh, thank you so much, Kagu. I love this. It was this an absolute joy. Thank you so much for having me. I love what Freya said about the process of her songwriting, especially Lost Without You, and how she wrote that song when she was 19. And it just goes to show, you know, we always think these things are an overnight success and happen instantly, but it was such a journey for her through a lot of vulnerability, you know, on her quest to be her authentic self. And what I loved is that she remained true to that against an industry that's always telling you to be someone else and how she ultimately transformed and used her pain as rocket fuel to propel her into the career that she has now. Now, as many of you know, I like my poetry and my songwriting and my singing. And so I felt very inspired by talking to Freya about how she has navigated that space. So I hope as a takeaway for some of you, it might inspire you to start writing more, to start performing more, doing something artistic. It doesn't have to be your career. I think it's just really important to have an outlet of expression of self and art is a beautiful form of that. You can find Freya on Instagram at Freya Ridings and you can listen to her self-titled debut album wherever you buy or stream your music. You can follow our astrological guide Nora on Instagram at Stars Incline, and you can find me at Kagi's World. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could share it with a friend or write us a review on Apple. Saturn Returns is a Feast Collective production. The producer is Hannah Varrell and the executive producer is Kate Taylor. Thank you so much for listening and remember, you are not alone. Goodbye. <laughs>